Welcome to the Essential Geopolitics Podcast from Stratfor, a rain company. I'm Emily Donahue. The events at the U.S. Capitol the first week of January stunned lawmakers, the U.S. public, and allies and opponents around the globe. The events and the investigations that followed raised questions about security both domestically and abroad. Here for some guidance is Sam Lichtenstein, a global security analyst with Stratfor and Rain. Welcome, Sam. Hey, Emily. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Sam, what are some of the short-term implications of the January 6th invasion of the U.S. Capitol? Well, there are obviously large domestic political implications, but of course, we're not primarily focused on those. We're happy to let the political pundits take the lead. What we're more looking at are the both domestic and foreign security implications. On the domestic side, uh, there are obviously going to be a huge amount of recriminations and investigations into just what went wrong tactically with the security procedures at the Capitol. Uh, We saw that there were a number of just general problems that manifested themselves in allowing the rioters to break in, and we can be sure that uh, the police and other law enforcement agencies are going to be examining them for lessons learned, particularly in the run-up to the inauguration. There's obviously been a huge amount of media attention on other threats that have come out since the Capitol siege, and you can be certain that police and other agencies are going to be examining what steps they did or didn't take to improve their response, uh, if necessary, next week for the inauguration. Uh, Beyond that, we saw something of a proof of concept from these right-wing groups that were taking part in the siege. Even though they didn't succeed in their ultimate goal, which was to prevent the certification of President-elect Biden's victory, they did, in fact, were able to storm one of the theoretically most secure symbols of American democracy and essentially have run in the place for a number of hours before being forced out. Uh, The way that they were able to organize and advance uh, and then communicate during the siege itself on various social media, encrypted communications platforms, uh, sometimes wholly openly, sometimes in private chats, uh, is going to most definitely inspire a new generation of protest tactics, both from the far right, but also any sort of ideologically motivated actor that wants to conduct a similar type of activity. And then abroad, the third thing I'd point out is that we're going to see a window of opportunity here where there is an increased risk that foreign adversaries try to take advantage of what they perceive to be American chaos and distraction with domestic events. Uh, In between uh, times between when a president-elect is voted on and when he or she assumes office, that quote-unquote lame duck period, have always been complex and rocky for foreign relations. Uh, But particularly so now, uh, we see an increased risk where foreign adversaries could take a number of destabilizing steps. And beyond just foreign adversaries, even allies uh, such as Israel or Egypt that think that they're going to have a better chance getting in a few final moves with a more sympathetic Trump administration before a possibly more skeptical or even hostile Biden administration takes power. Sam, let's focus a little bit domestically for a moment. As you mentioned, Inauguration Day is going to be a a significant uh, security risk, even if I could say. Um, How will the events of January 6th reverberate beyond the security changes that might take place on Inauguration Day? 
Sure. So there are obviously going to be a huge amount of changes taking place. There are tons of media reports about all the precautions that are going to be in place for inauguration. But you're right that what we saw on January 6th is going to have implications that last far beyond January 20th, the inauguration. Uh, one thing that I do think is, is worth highlighting is the way in which uh, police uh, kind of respond to these type of protests in general. There are very different tactical uh, precautions that need to be put in place for dealing with potential protest violence compared to, say, protecting against a terrorist attack. Uh, one notable, you know, obvious difference is that in this case, what started out as a lawful, peaceful rally then quickly escalated. Uh, whereas when you're, say, protecting an event against an exterior terrorist actor, you're looking for suspicious behavior to not even allow the attacker into the vicinity in the first place. What we've seen uh, through a great deal of 2020, and particularly surrounding the election in November, is a number of protests that have descended into violence where people were sometimes even lawfully carrying firearms based on the state or the locality that they were in. And that provides a real challenge for law enforcement to provide the type of security and the right balance between providing security while also enabling ostensible free speech rights. Uh, beyond that, another thing that we're going to see is a continuing focus on racial disparities in policing. Uh, this is something that gained a lot of attention, of course, last year with the George Floyd and other protests over the summer, uh, but also in the wake of the Capitol siege. A number of commentators were very quick to point out that a predominantly white-led uh, group of individuals were seemingly responded to in a very different way than the Black Lives Matter-led protests over the summer. Uh, and it's actually uh, a big point of uh, question about whether some of the law enforcement response or lack thereof to the Capitol siege is precisely because they were trying to avoid some of the violence that occurred in the wake of racial injustice protests over the summer. So that issue isn't going anywhere. Beyond that, we're already beginning to see some significant ones abroad. Foreign adversaries are undoubtedly going to exploit the events of January 6th to paint the U.S. as incapable and unworthy of global leadership and thwart the new administration's foreign policy goals. We've seen a number of leaders from great power competitors like China and Russia to smaller localized threats like Venezuela or Belarus already justify their own domestic crackdowns by painting false equivalents between what their security forces are doing and what we saw on January 6th in terms of riots. Uh, we're also going to see these leaders abroad seek to overturn U.S.-imposed penalties on them by justifying or by saying that the U.S. Uh, is unjustified in pursuing them. For instance, Zimbabwe's leader has come out and said that U.S. sanctions against his country are unjust because clearly the U.S. is not a beacon of democracy in its own right. And then finally, we're going to see foreign adversaries most definitely try to exploit the very clear societal polarization that was on display at the Capitol. Uh, there's obviously been a ton of discussion in recent years about foreign malign influence in disinformation, spreading propaganda, etc. And this event is most definitely going to uh, enable them to continue to stoke racial, ethnic, political tensions in the U.S. and more broadly give them fodder for continued disinformation operations targeting U.S. citizens that are sadly clearly very polarized. Let's talk a little bit about that polarization. Much has been made of exactly who participated in this event and why. The FBI has indicated many were parts of groups known for far-right or white power beliefs. How does the Capitol siege fit into the broader extremist movement, specifically right-wing, I should say? 
Sure. So the right-wing extremist movement is most definitely a big tent. It encompasses a lot of groups and individuals uh, who, quite frankly, do have uh, differing and, in some cases, divergent motivations. But the siege at the Capitol Hill last week shows how they can converge around a shared narrative. Uh, So, for instance, you saw anti-government militias that protest government authority. These are people that have been particularly active in anti-pandemic restrictions. Uh, They've been protesting outside state capitals uh, all of 2020. You saw them interacting at the Capitol with more avowedly neo-Nazi fascists who actively promote uh, anti-Jewish, anti-Muslim, and general anti-minority beliefs. And at the same time, you saw both of those groups then coalescing with conspiracy theorists, people that are following uh, QAnon and other similar movements online, uh, coming together as one to kind of promote the, this kind of general right-wing fringe uh, that, in this case, was supportive of President Trump, uh, even as they all had their own divergent motivations. What we at Stratfor are most concerned about uh, are actually none of these particular groups, though they all represent a serious security concern, uh, but particularly concerned about the actual right-wing terrorists who are conducting premeditated, politically motivated attacks against civilians. Uh, I know that this is something that my colleague Thomas spoke with you about on a previous episode about our upcoming terrorism forecast. Uh, because what we've seen, unfortunately, in the West in at least the last year or two has been a clear uptick in these incidents where people with clear political motivations on the right wing side of the political spectrum are conducting targeted attacks against civilians, primarily minorities or immigrants, uh, because they perceive these individuals to be threats to their own identity. Uh, And so we're concerned that these kind of mass attacks, such as in El Paso in the United States uh, or in Christchurch, New Zealand in March 2019, uh, will continue and that all of these general far-right movements do kind of coalesce around some of these general talking points, even as they pursue their own divergent aims. Sam Lichtenstein is a global security analyst with Stratfor, a rain company. If you'd like to read more about this topic, sign up for Stratfor's free newsletter at worldview.stratfor.com. That's worldview.stratfor.com. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening. 